Welcome to the Southridge Church Podcast. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we want you to stay connected with us. You can find us on sanjose.cc or subscribe to the podcast. I got to start with a question. Have you ever second-guessed a decision? Yeah. Yeah, I figured so. And if you say no, you just give it a little bit of time. Or uh, if you're like me, I'll go to a restaurant with Jane. She'll order and I'll order. And I'll look at my order when it comes out. And I'll look at her order. And I'll second guess my order. Because her order looks delicious. And then I'll try to steal bites when she's not looking. Right? Well, yesterday I was really second guessing the decision. All right? I, I signed up for a Spartan race, and really, I, I blame John and Risa for this, okay? Because years ago, they told me to go to this gym, and this gym decided to do a Spartan race. And after we did the first Spartan race, Jane has this brilliant idea. She said, hey, you should finish this trifecta. A trifecta is three races. So she said, you already did one. Might as well do the other two. You're a third of the way done. And I'm kind of a sucker for peer pressure, you know, it's a good thing my wife doesn't try to get me to do drugs because I, I just, you know, it's just, I would probably go for it, right? But she's a good influence on me sometimes, most time, probably 95% of the time she's a good influence. And so yesterday was a Spartan race and it was supposed to be a half marathon, 13.2 miles. It was out by the pinnacles. And I looked at my schedule and I was like, okay, I got a wedding at four. And in my arrogance, I was like, two hours, no problem. Sub two. <laughs> oh, fool that I was. I was doing great at mile seven. Mile eight was like, okay, it's getting toasty. It's getting toasty. But uh, John, my mentor, my coach, when it comes to these long marathons, he, he would buy these gel blocks. And I was like, that's all he used. And he does these things all the time. I'll just have a pocket full of gel blocks. And I'll just go. And man, by about mile 10, I hit a wall. And it was no longer, we're in a race. This is a walkathon. That's what it turned into. It went from a race to a walkathon. And I just had one leg in front of the other. And then one guy was like, come on, send it. And I said, shut up. All right? I said, unless you're about to carry me, ain't nobody want to hear your little motivation, Tony Robbins. I was like, come on. I'm trying to get up this mountain. And then I get to mile 12, and it's 13.2 miles. I look at another guy, because now I'm feeling better. We're at mile 12. I got a mile to go. Anybody can do it for the last mile. So I look over at this button. I'm like, hey, man, how's it going? He said, it's not going well. I said, I know that. But he said, my GPS says we're at mile 15. I said, hold up what now? I said, did I miss the finish line somewhere? Because my finish was supposed to be 13.2. He said, no, they lied. This is a 16.5 mile. And they threw in an extra 3,200 3, foot summit back down. I've never hoped that I would break an ankle so bad in my life. I was like, you know what? Then I could just be done with this thing. And the whole time I'm having these flashbacks that I need to reevaluate my life choices. And I was second guessing the entire race. And I was thinking, why do I fall for this stuff? And then my sweet, adorable wife, she's like, I didn't tell you you had to. I said, what? That's not how the conversation went down. You kind of put a lot of peer pressure on me to do it, but I was second guessing. And we're going to see here, we're going to see a man by the name of Peter. And it looks like he's going to second guess his surrender. 
Sometimes following Jesus is good and sometimes it's not so good. Let's be honest. Sometimes when you're at the revival meeting or in the message or you're in a spiritual atmosphere, sometimes it's easy to sell out and go all in and say, I'm surrendered to God. But then there's sometimes when you're sick, you lose a job, the marriage isn't going well, the parenting isn't going well, the economy's not going well, and you just feel down in the dumps, and you kind of feel like God's telling you, come on, send it, keep going. And you're like, no. I'm second-guessing this thing about surrender. Because if we don't talk about this, then you're going to feel hoodwinked, gypped, duped into following Jesus. After all, he did say, take up my cross and follow me daily. However, we kind of think that that's this metaphorical thing that we don't really have to carry any burdens. However, you'll find in the Christian life there are burdens. And so we find ourselves meeting the apostles. A little backstory on John chapter 21. It's kind of this chapter. It's kind of like at the end of the movie, they have those post-credit scenes. That's John 21. The book of John really ends in chapter 20. However, the writer John really, for whatever reason, wants to throw a little shade at his boy Peter. And so let's pick it up in verse number one. Here's what the word of the Lord says. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. So you have seven of the remaining 11 disciples because Judas has already committed suicide and has died. So seven out of the 11 have decided something. Notice what they decided. Verse 3, so Peter said, I'm going fishing. The rest of the group said, we'll come too. So they went out into the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciples, the disciple that Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. The other stayed in the boat and pulled up the loaded net for the shore. They were only about 100 yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish, uh, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon went abroad and dragged the net to the shore, there was 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had risen from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know that I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus then repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt 
that Jesus asked him the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you, Jesus said. Then feed my sheep. Let's pray. Grace Heavenly Father, we know that your word will do the work to which you desire it to do. So I just pray that the truths found in this text would help us. I pray for those that may be on the fence right now, second-guessing their surrender, ready to just kind of walk away, throw in the towel, call it quits, and say, I gave it a good shot, I gave it a go, but I'm, I'm done now. I'm ready to walk away and do something else. I pray that this testimony would call them back to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Scholars are on the fence about exactly what is happening here. Because from the time Jesus was resurrected from the grave to the time he ascended up into heaven is 40 days. And during that 40-day time span, Jesus only saw the disciples three times. That may seem like a lot. You and I probably don't often get to visit our family and siblings as much as we'd like to. So three times in a month and a half, you're like, that seems good. However, you got to understand something. Prior to Jesus' death and burial and resurrection, these seven men had spent the last three and a half years with Jesus every day. So you go from three and a half years in a relationship to all of a sudden it's kind of your texts are now being left on read. So Peter and the scholars are kind of debating, did he go back to fishing as a way to say, I quit on being a disciple. I'll go back to what I know, and I know fishing. There's another group of theologians who would say, maybe he just wanted to fill the time in between when Jesus was going to come because Jesus had told them, meet me in Galilee. So maybe they were just busy doing whatever. We're split. However, I think as we discover and we'll read in the text, I believe the former is more true. I think at this point in Peter's life, he is now back where he was in Luke 5, where we began the series. Because in Luke chapter number 5, it's the identical miracle. They had fished all night. They had caught nothing. And then Jesus comes and asks the question, have you caught anything? And at that moment, they say, no, we haven't caught anything. And then Jesus says, let's launch out into the deep, let down your net, and let's catch some fish. It's almost a mirror miracle. But then something that Peter says, Jesus doesn't say it. Peter says it in Luke 5. He says that he then forsook all to follow Jesus. It doesn't look like he had forsaken all to follow Jesus if he's going back to fishing. The temptation when it comes to following Jesus all out is the temptation to second guess our surrender and to return to the routine because that's what Peter did. He said, I'm going to return to what is familiar. I'm going to return to my routine. I'm going to get back to what I know best. You see, he had a calling on his life. The calling was to go into the world and preach the gospel. That's the calling that was on Peter's life. Now, if you don't understand the terminology of calling, I would say that I have a calling by God to plant a church and pastor. That's a calling that's been placed on my life. 
Your calling could be that you're an entrepreneur. Your calling could be that you're a stay-at-home mom. Your calling could be that you are to be a Christian businessman or woman. Your calling could be to be a Christian school teacher. Your calling could be to go out in a secular world. But I believe everybody has a calling. You could call it a purpose. And here we see Peter choosing to go back to his career and leave the calling. Because he was called to preach. He was called to tell people about Jesus. And you would think now that Jesus has triumphed over the grave, that Peter has seen him, the relationship has been restored, you would think Peter would be more fired up now than ever. Why after the resurrection is he talking about fishing? You just saw the greatest miracle of all time. Jesus resurrected over the grave. And the angel specifically said, call Peter back. And so in that moment, Peter, he's, he's saying, God still wants me. God still has a plan for me. And yet now he's going to go fishing. I find that sometimes when we choose our career over our calling, we miss something. And I was thinking, why do we go back to old things and old ways of thinking? And I want to say this, first of all, we go back to things that we can find. We go back to things we can find. You see, the word for forsake that was used there, that word, is the Greek word aphiame, which means to yield up. The word yield up means it's no longer his. He is saying, no, no, I've, I've given that up. But the problem with forsaking, if you know where to find it, then you're going to be tempted to go back to it. I see this happen in toxic relationships. People will be in a bad relationship and they won't fully delete that person's contact. They won't delete their information. They'll say, hey, I'm breaking this off completely. No, no, they, they, they want to they wanna play with it a little bit. My dad as a pastor would tell an illustration of a boy who wasn't allowed to have a cat. And so the boy would hide the cat and one day the cat died, but he loved the cat. So he puts the cat in a shoebox and he takes the cat's tail and pokes it through the shoebox and pulls it out and he buries the box, but he leaves the tail sticking out of the ground so he can always go visit his cat. The story's going to get gross, don't worry. So as he would visit his cat, at first the cat looked normal. And then one day he went to go grab the tail and pull off the cat. And that's when the tail came up and nothing else. You see, you haven't truly forsaken something if you know where to find something. And so Peter knew exactly where to find his boat. You say, I don't know if that's really the way. I mean, boats are a nice thing to have, and I'm not against anybody owning a boat. However, when you look at the prophet Elijah, Elisha, when Elijah came and put his mantle on him, Elisha, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, took the plow, he broke it, he burnt it, slew the cattle, and then he offered it as a sacrifice, burning his plow to never go back to it. But yet we have Christians that second-guess the surrender or, out of prudence, want to have a backup plan. Just in case I want to go back to that. Don't burn a bridge. When it's something that's going to pull you back into old ways of thinking and living, burn that bridge. 
I met with somebody this week that they had made some poor choices, made some poor decisions. And I asked this person, I said, what have you done about those relationships? Are you still friends? And this person wisely said, no, I've cut it off. I said, what kind of cut it off? Have you gotten rid of all that contact? Because those aren't friends that want to help you in your future. They're trying to pull you down. So deal with that right now. You see, Peter made it easy to go back to things. He didn't just go back to it because he could find it. He also went back to it because it was familiar. Some things we go back to just because it's familiar. And that is a self-worth issue. That's a self-worth issue. Peter spent three and a half years being mentored and trained by Jesus. And now you're going to go back to being a fisherman? You got mentored and trained. There should be more to you now. You're, you're saying you learn nothing. You're not any different. You just feel like, no, I'm just, a, I'm just a lowly fisherman. I'm just going to go back to that. He didn't even do a unilateral move. He just went straight back down. Some of us, we do that because it's familiar. I'll go back to that job, back to that relationship. I'll go back to this old routine. Why? It's just familiar. There's another word for familiar. It's called a rut. Some of us get in spiritual ruts. We don't open the word. We don't pray like we need to. We don't get in community like we need to because we're in a spiritual rut and we call the rut the routine. God never meant for your routine to become a rut. And some of us get stuck in these ruts and we're not moving forward and we go back to things that are familiar. And God is trying to say, that's not what I have for you. I have something so much better for you. However, you and I, we've got to say, no, I, I got to do something else. And here's what's amazing. Up until Peter met Jesus, his career fed him, did it not? He was a fisherman. That thing fed him. That thing provided for him. He's married. He has a mother-in-law. He obviously probably had a family. And so fishing was something that fed him. But he's now come to a point in his life where his career no longer feeds him. And some of us won't follow our calling because we're not sure that our calling could feed us. And I'm here to tell you that your calling absolutely can feed you. That when you are in the center of God's will, God will make sure you're not neglected. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say that I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. God is there to provide and feed you. And here's what's amazing. Was he able to, in his career of fishing, feed himself at this point? No. What fed him? Jesus calling out over the water. Cast your net on the other side. Jesus was teaching him, my call can feed you. But then it gets better. We're going to end this chapter. We're going to see something amazing. What did Jesus then tell Peter to do three times? Feed my sheep. Why didn't he say, keep the boat? Hey, you're going to need this boat to feed everybody. No, no, no. That's not what he's saying. He's saying something's going to feed everybody else, but you're not going to do it through this boat. The boat represents a different way of thinking. It represents culture. It represents the things of this world. And God is saying, I'm not of this world. You are going to feed others, but it's not going to be with that. You're going to feed them with my word. You're going to feed them with my testimony. That's how you're going to feed them. So you and I have to make the decision. Am I relying on my career to feed? Or am I going to rely on my call to feed? That's what's going to feed people. I'll say it like this. 
You can't take people where you have not been and you cannot give them what you do not have. However, flip side, inverted, you will take people where you have been and you will give people what you do have. So if all that you have is never getting over besetting sin, you're never getting victory over things, if you're never moving forward or progressing your Christian life, you're gonna spread that with the people around you. And so in this text, we realize that God wants you to be able to feed other people. He wants you to not just go back to old ways of thinking. And the hardest surrender is when you realize this thing isn't feeding me. It's not going to feed me. I got to find something else. And that's verses three and five. You see, they returned to the routine. However, when they returned, there was no results. Verse 3 says, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too. Hold up. Let's dive into that just for a second. Go back to verse number 2 for a moment. There's two names that are mentioned right off the bat. Look at the screen. Let's put it up there. Verse 2. Then several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter. What's the next name? You have the denier and the doubter hanging out. Who are your friends? If you're hanging around deniers and doubters, do you really think you're going to accomplish something for God? The very first names. Here's what's funny. When you go to Luke chapter number five, Thomas isn't even mentioned. It's Peter, Andrew, James, and John. What's, what's Thomas doing? The doubter. Peter's gotten a new circle, and sometimes it's not that you necessarily meant to go to old patterns. It's that you got around people that took you to old patterns. And it's that you need to recognize, hey, this may not be a me thing. It could be somebody else in my circle, in my sphere, that I need to step back and say, wait a minute, who am I allowing in my life? Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. We do this with children, don't we? As parents, we're very cautious about who we allow our children to hang out with and and spend time with. But yet, when we get a little bit older, we just kind of say, who do I like? And I just hang out with whoever I like. Well, we like the same sports. And man, we like to uh, watch the same movies. And we like to do the same activities. So I just kind of hang out with them. And yet, we never stop to consider, is this a positive influence on me? Is this somebody that's actually going to help me? Or is this a person that's actually going to hurt me and pull me down? And so we've got to step back and see, Peter, he had returned to old routines, and then he realized these routines do not produce the results. And so they fished all night, and they caught nothing. Verse 4, at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Verse number six, then he said, throw out your net on the right side of the boat and you'll get some. Some of us, we're tired of working all night and having nothing, aren't we? Struggling and having nothing. Praying and having nothing. Going to church and having nothing. Working at our nine to five and having nothing. Working at our relationships and having nothing. We're tired of putting in the effort and the work and still having nothing. And if you're here this morning and you're discouraged because it feels like nothing is working in your life and you don't know what to do, I'm here to tell you the blessing in this passage, the thing that rocked me, that helped me, was the fact that Jesus asked them, have you caught anything? 
And I believe because Jesus knows all that he knew the answer was no. And what does Jesus do? The very next verse, he says, cast your net on the other side, you're going to get something. My friend, listen to me this morning if you can. Jesus notices when you have nothing. He notices. Maybe you're struggling in a relationship. Maybe your heart is empty right now. And maybe you feel like nobody loves, nobody cares, nobody sees that quiet desperation that I'm going through. And I'm here to remind you that, yes, maybe that is true. Maybe I miss it. Maybe your friends and your family miss it. However, the one great truth of Scripture is that Jesus notices when we have nothing. And that is our hope. Man was going to fail you. But Jesus never fails. He notices when you have nothing. And he doesn't just notice. He steps in and helps you meet that need. He says, cast your net on the other side. So they cast it on the other side. And their nets were so full. And they catch 153 large fish. However, back up. If Jesus would have asked me this question, it was my boat and I'm Peter. Can I tell you just real talk, Bonnie? This is probably what I would tell Jesus. Because I'm, I've made this mistake sometimes. Hey, Micaiah, how many fish do you have? Uh, we're doing okay. They're not biting yet. I might get something. We got, we got, we, we're working hard. You know, it takes a lot of honesty and humility to say I have nothing. Yeah. I believe that Jesus didn't do the miracle until they got honest. And I think sometimes as Christians, we don't like to get honest that our marriage is not doing good and say, God, I really need help. I don't think we like to get honest and say, God, I'm actually in a very uh, distant relationship with you. I don't feel close to you. I feel backslidden. I feel so far away. I'm just going through the motions, but there's nothing real inside. I feel no fervor. I feel no hunger. There's no desire for you. And I'm just being honest. And I believe it's in our honesty that that's when then God can step in. But when we pretend to be something, God doesn't bless who we pretend to be. And I think sometimes as Christians, we come to church and we will greet somebody and we'll say, hey, how are you doing, Rod? And then Rod will be like, man, how was your week? And we're going to be like, oh, it's awesome. In the back of our mind, we're like, it sucked. I went 16 and a half miles up a mountain and I was looking down at everybody else in a nice shaded area drinking Kool-Aid. Instead, I said, oh, it is awesome. My knee feels like a softball, but man, it's great. And we do these things. And then people are like, man, you just look like you have it all together. And then one day the post goes on Facebook where you've changed your last name. We're like, wait a minute. They always said they were great. What happened? Yeah, they were great, but they both slept in separate bedrooms. Too real on a Sunday morning? Okay, all right, just too real. We'll back off. We'll be nice. We say, oh, we're good. Didn't your car just get repossessed? Kids are great. Didn't I see you at county visiting them? <laughs> or were they visiting you? We play games as Christians, let's just be honest. We love to project something that isn't who we are. In our age of social media, where we could put a filter and a veneer on everything, 
It's a wonder that anybody has a real conversation with anybody anymore. And yet we bring that into our relationship with Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm not here to judge you. I care about you, but let's be honest where we're at. Because until we get honest, we really can't make any progress. There is no forward momentum here until we are just honest with where we are. And as Christians, it's why we hit the altar afterward. It's why we spend time in our secret place with God. And we say, God, I'm not where I should be. And I know you want me somewhere else, but yet I don't feel it and I don't necessarily desire it. And so Jesus, I need you to step in. And Jesus says, yes, I will. Because Jesus is the one that will save us. You see, Jesus doesn't force salvation on you. He waits for we're, until we're honest. We say, I need a savior. Jesus doesn't go around just, oh, you get a salvation, and you get a salvation, and you get a salvation, and you get a salvation. Jesus is not Oprah. He's better. Thank you. At least one person said amen. Some of you are like, Oprah's pretty great. I don't know. Jesus doesn't force salvation. He waits for you to say, I need a savior. Then salvation happens. That involves honesty and humility, does it not? How many Christians, we won't get honest with God and just say, God, I need something that I can't provide for myself. And in that moment, something amazing happened. Because the results changed after they released. That's when the results came. There is a secret in surrender, and that is when we finally just say, God, I'm leaving this up to you. You see, you can't have anything off the charts with God until you take your hands off controls. God wants to do some off the charts things in your life, but as long as your hands are on the controls, it's not going to happen. One more story about yesterday. I feel like I need to do a little therapy, and so I'm just going to vent to you guys because I'm really upset that I did this race. So I was so exhausted and was like partially sick, and so my eyes were like this as we were driving, and I almost crashed the car twice on the way home, and Jane was like, let me drive, and I was like, no, I got it, I got it. She's like, no, you're about to run off the road, and finally I was like, oh, okay, all right. Do you know how hard it is for me to let Jane drive? Ha <laughs> ha. I have a lot of comments. So many comments. They're good too, but I want to sleep in the same room with my wife. So we'll, we'll ignore those. But if you come to the men's group, oh yeah, it's on. Just kidding. Results come after we release. There's something God wants to do in your life and you think he's the lid and he's looking at you and saying, no, you're the lid. Hey, Peter, the moment you release, the moment you say, hey, this net's going on the other side, the moment you say, and, and think about this, this boat wouldn't have been more wide than eight feet. So you're telling me that on this eight feet is this length. That's exactly eight feet. Exactly. So you're telling me right here there's no fish, but right here is 150 Nemos waiting to jump into my net. Are you kidding me, Jesus? And Jesus said, obey or disobey. You want results or you don't want results? But Peter learned from Luke 5. He said, oh man, this is like, we missed this. The Bible's so cool, y'all. Luke 5, Jesus said, launch out in the deep and then let's go get the fish. He's going eight feet, not to the deep. 
So God can bless you sometimes in a suddenly moment where God can say, you don't even have to do much. And some of us won't even do the little that God asks us to do. Some of you, God is telling you right now something so little, so small, and it's gonna break open the rest of your life, but you are holding on. God is not asking you to do a big thing. He's just saying, take the little net, walk eight little feet, and drop it on the other side, and I'm gonna pull, I'll pour out a blessing that you've never even realized, but yet you and I are like, that's too easy. That's too simple. I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna start there. And God's like, if you will do it, your life will change. And it just takes a few feet. You don't have to go out in the deep. Some of you, God may call to go to a foreign country and take the gospel. Others, he's going to call you to go talk to your neighbor and bring them an apple pie or something. And talk to them and say, hey, if I can ever be a help, I'm, I'm your neighbor. But as long as you and I are holding on to the results, we're going to miss out. I don't have enough time to dive into the rest of this passage. We have to close. But I love what Jesus tells Peter at the very end. He says, do you love me more than these? And I've thought about what these mean. What is he talking about? Do you love me more than these? Is is Jesus asking Peter, do you love me more than these sheep? Or do you love me more than these disciples? Which is it? Who is there? Because it's either sheep or, or fish or the disciples. And then Peter says, you know that I love you. But he uses the Greek word phileo love, which is a brotherly love. He knows, yeah, I care about you, Jesus, like a brother. I I care. And then Jesus asks a second time, Peter, do you love me? But the word love that Jesus used is not phileo love in the Greek. It's a stronger love in the Greek. It's the word agape, which is a sacrificial, a self-giving love. Jesus said, no, 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 do you love me like that? Peter replies a second time. Come on, Jesus, you know I love you. Phileo, brotherly love. And then Jesus asked a third time, do you love me? Agape. And finally the third time. Peter gets it. What was Jesus doing? Three times, Peter denied. What Jesus wanted to walk Peter back through is not walking back through any shame or guilt, but he wanted Peter to know what betrayal really felt like. Because three times, Peter had betrayed him. Three times, he had rejected his love. Because Jesus is telling him, go feed somebody, but you can't feed anybody if you haven't received the love. I can't give you love if I have no love in my heart. And sometimes as Christians, we can be very unloving. And when you ever meet an unloving Christian, understand it's not because they're hateful. It's because there's no love in their heart because you can't feed people out of your career, but you could feed people out of your calling. And out of your calling, that's when you'll be able to feed others. That's where it's going to happen. And so as Christians, we've got to step back and say, Lord, I want to be able to bless others. I want to be able to love others. And then Jesus says, then you've got to have the love in your own heart because you can't give what you don't have. And so this morning, the challenge is this. If you are second-guessing your surrender, are you ready to settle it once and for all? Can we stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? Father God, in the name of Jesus, we come to you. Not in our own strength, not in our own wisdom, 
not with our own plans, preferences. But we're sitting here, and I pray that we would have the honesty of a Peter to say that we've caught nothing, that we're missing something. And in that moment, you take notice that we have nothing. And you're our need meter. You're the source. So Father, this morning, we just want to come back to you. Just want to get honest and humble before you. And ask you to restore. Ask you to bring us back in to fellowship with you. Many have been on the fence. Wondering, is it worth it? While others, at one time they had surrendered, but now they're second-guessing the surrender. They're second-guessing their marriage. Second-guessing their parenting. Second-guessing God and who he is. Second-guessing the church. What once was a settled idea, they're now willing to walk away from. Peter, after three and a half years of faithfully following Jesus, in just a moment, was ready to just return to the old routines. And I see myself in Peter. And so, Father, I've got to come to you and just humble myself. Say, I need you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, here at Southridge, we don't just let a message go in one ear and out the other but we meditate on a message. We allow the Holy Spirit to work. And so if I can pray for you and with you in this place about your second guessing of your surrender, I would love to pray with you. Is that you? You'd say, pray for me, Pastor. I see that hand, amen. I see that hand, amen. God bless you, I see that hand. Oh, I see hands on my left, amen. God bless you. Hands up all over the room, amen. You may put your hands down, God bless you. After the service, if you'd like to pray with myself or anybody that's wearing a yellow shirt or a lanyard, we'd love to pray with you. If you're getting baptized this morning, I'm going to dismiss you right now to prepare for baptism. You're dismissed so you can prepare and get ready. Or if you'd like to be baptized, you can go ahead and slip out right now as we prepare for baptism. I'm going to invite the worship team onto the stage. As we're going to sing and we're going to worship one more song together. Father, I just see these hands, these hearts. I just pray, God, as many are second-guessing some things, I think it's a natural part of our lives. But in this process of second-guessing, would you restore our faith and our hope? Would you draw us back to you? Would you help us to remember your goodness? Would you help us to remember that you have not abandoned us? that when we had nothing, you still notice. And I pray for the hands that were lifted. I don't know their story. I don't know what they've been through, but you do. And so right now, Father, I just pray that you would meet that need. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. The worship team's gonna lead us in a song and we're gonna celebrate with those that are about to go public with their faith and baptism. So if you would wait just for a moment, please, I'd appreciate it. Thank you again for spending time with us today. And a special thanks to those who give generously to Southridge Church. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. 
And if you want to learn more about Southridge, you can follow us on social media at Southridge Now. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with a friend or even take a screenshot and share it on your social story. Make sure you tag Southridge Church and let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.